Such a great presentation and such evidence that the, it is the Spirit of God guiding us. I mean, what a cool thing. The Urban Promise link, the link to uh, Eco Church, uh, our exciting fellowship of churches, uh, and what the place that Malawi is in is um, truly it's a place where Christianity is centered on. If you were to find where Christianity is thick, uh, it is gathered in that part of Southern Africa, and there can't be a greater need than what Robert is doing in the training and the building up of that church, strong and robust biblical teaching. So what an awesome thing. There's going to be opportunity to partner in all kinds of ways there. It's a warm place to go in January, February, March, too, so uh, keep that in mind, um, but excited about that relationship, and what a great um, partner and person and future we have there. So um, we're looking at what the gospel does to affect the new us, not just how it gives us a new forgiveness and a new life, but how it's the new you to put on in the new year. Uh, and we're looking at this a section in Ephesians about saying, tell the truth to yourself. There's a part of us that believes lies. Uh, and so in getting rid of those lies uh, and getting rid of the part that loves to listen to lies, um, we're looking uh, especially at a section about relationships. Uh, and so uh, let's uh, look at this beginning at, let's see, I have it up here. Yeah. And it's about this section we looked at last week that begins, be angry and sin not. And the next thing he says in verse 27 and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, um, that it may benefit uh, those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, um, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we would incline our hearts to you, we pray that your truth would be richly received in us. And we pray that that new person that you are creating and that you redeemed us to be uh, might be um, strengthened and fed and lifted up uh, as we seek to gather before your presence this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I wanna begin with a little funny story, but it's not about a funny thing, bitterness. And there was this uh, husband and wife that were locked in this horrible, bitter relationship, and she was cleaning some silver, and out popped a genie. And a genie said, you have three wishes, but the only thing is, uh, whatever good thing you wish, and whatever you wish for yourself, I'm going to give to your worst enemy, which happened to be your husband, double. So, uh, and, and he said, also, you must uh, enact these quickly. So the first thing she said is she says, I want to have a pile of diamonds larger and more uh, costly than any pile of diamonds in the world. Poof. Her lap was filled with a pile of diamonds larger, more beautiful than any other diamonds. But the genie said, just recognize that wherever your husband is, he has been uh, gifted with twice as much of this. And what's your next wish? And she goes, well, I want to have more money than the world's richest person. I wanna have twice that much money. And so, poof, so he said, all of it's been wired, all your bank accounts are full, you are now the world's richest person, except 
for your husband who now has twice as much money as you have? What's your third wish? And Jesus says, all right, I thought about this while I've been thinking about these other wishes. And she says, here's my last wish. Jeannie, I want you to sneak up on me and scare me half to death. <laughs> and that was her wish. And what a waste of a good wish, right? <laughs> but this is what bitterness calls, causes us to do. This is what bitterness and unforgiveness, when it lodges, it is a serious thing. Uh, and it does give the level, the, the devil, a, a beachfront to work in our lives. And we're going to look at what bitterness is and why our passage says that we must get rid of all bitterness and then forgive as Christ forgives. And it's, it's something we need to be vigilant about because we live in a world right now where bitterness is, is almost attractive. Uh, it is a way of being the victim. We live in a world that, you know, and you don't have to be impoverished and not have anything to be a victim. Right now, you can be, you know, a millionaire and you can be venting in an embittered way uh, about your fears, fears of things that haven't even happened. You know, the government's gonna take all my money. Um, and you're a billionaire, you know, and you're, you're embittered. Bitterness is recruiting us. Uh, those who are trying to get elected recruit us uh, to all kinds of bitterness. And uh, I was just, I was at the, the Y and I had my Amazon, it's kind of dangerous to do this, but I had my Amazon music on play songs, you know, kind of randomly. Uh, and I, I was running to the treadmill and I realized that I was being energized by songs that were all about bitterness. Um, and I don't know, I'm probably gonna offend somebody here, but I mean, I was, I not even a huge Taylor Swift um, person, I don't even, but it's like, she has kind of made a career out of writing songs that are sour on old boyfriends. Uh, and, um, and they're in Venom. I mean, if, you may not know the lyrics, but like I just, I just had to investigate the lyrics. But I was, I was, I was running to this song, Dear John, and, and, and she's writing, all the girls that you've run dry of tired, lifeless eyes because you burned them out, but I took your matches before your fire could catch me, so don't look now because I'm shining like fireworks over your sad, empty town. Hooray, I am running <laughs> on the treadmill to that lyric. I mean, I just, you know, and, and another one came up, here's, here's her lyrics, and like she is like the thing, right? But it's like, Dear John, by the way, I hate that stupid old pickup truck you never let me drive. You're a redneck heartbreak who's really bad at lying, so watch me strike a match on all my wasted time. As far as I'm concerned, you're just another picture to burn. But it sells. <laughs> there, there is something about that that sells, and I'm not just picking on her, and I know some of you may have a bone to pick with me uh, about picking on your favorite artist, um, but bitterness sells, and it sells in our own souls too. When we can become the aggrieved person, when we can become the person who is you know, living out that sad song, um, it locks us into our past. There, there's a couple ways that we can be locked into our past and deprived of the future that Christ has for us. One is regret. Regret is when we look back at our own failures, and we all have them. I mean, if you don't have regrets in life, I would just tell you, you don't have an imagination. Um, just, there are regrets. It's one reason we need Jesus. 
There are chapters we wish we could have lived differently. And here's the glorious thing. Christ sets us free from those regrets. He lets us turn them over to him and be forgiven. Regret is when we blame ourselves. Bitterness is when we blame others. And we, so, so regret is like, I should have studied harder in college. I could have had a better career. Regret, bitterness is when we say, that instructor. Or, you know, uh, maybe even my parents didn't support me in this kind of way. And, you know, and blaming and blaming someone else. And so here he says, um, get rid of it. Uh, previously in verse 25, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Christ was perfectly angry. He knew how to be angry for the right reason, at the right time, with the right person, and express it in the right way. He was never tainted with sinful anger. But if you don't know how to be angry, we looked at it last week, you don't know how to be good. Because if you don't know how to be, if you don't have any passion of anger, righteous anger, you will be passive in the face of evil. But not so with bitterness. Bitterness, Christ was never bitter. Bitterness is when anger gets internalized uh, and, and it latches on to us. And I, I want to just say something uh, here. Um, bitterness, getting rid of bitterness, you don't need anybody else to help you with it. Um, forgiveness and reconciliation. Bitterness is, is, is a gateway to forgiveness. It is a piece of forgiveness. But it is the part that you do in your heart before God, and you don't need anyone else to change to get free of bitterness. Now, for forgiveness to lead to a reconciled relationship, it does take two. But do you see how freeing it is to say, we can get rid of the toxins on our part. We can do what's necessary on our part of the equation um, without minimizing perhaps a serious offense. And so that's why this becomes a heavy topic because there undoubtedly are some individuals here who have suffered a very serious wrong from someone. I remember one time preaching a sermon like this and a, and a man came to me and said, I worked 30 years for a friend and he stole my entire pension. I was like, whoa. You know, and I mean, I, I think of that even, I think like I weigh that even more heavily now, 30 years of pension. He thought he had an account. It was all a shadow account stolen. And I preached on, for, and I'm up there preaching my 30 minute sermon on forgiveness, laying a burden on this guy. <laughs> When what he needed to do was get rid of bitterness and that kind of resentment, but obviously he can't trust this person. This person has, you know, what did Maya Angelou say? She says, when people show you who they are, believe them. I mean, there's, this is not just a quick fix forgiveness. And sometimes in the church, I just want to say, sometimes in the church, we have misused and misappropriated the power of forgiveness. And I've seen it where we have used um, these verses about forgiveness. Forgive as Christ forgave you in a superficial way. And we have used them like a law, like a, like a club to beat a person down who is a victim. And then we brought out grace for the victimizer. And that is not okay. I, I've, I've heard of churches where there were, you know, they, they, they lock into the dynamic of repentance and forgiveness. And so... Uh, a party of a marriage, a, a husband who, who has been a complete louse, who's not been faithful at all, and it's, it's uncovered, but then comes with crocodile tears of repentance, is welcomed and restored. There's almost a posse of encouragement around him, and then the question goes to the wife and says, now it's your duty to forgive. And, and, and that is a form of abuse. 
And I'm not making light when I, when, I, when I preach on a heavy topic like this. I just have to say like that, because of that abuse, I just want you to know that is not biblical. And that is not in keeping with how Christ forgave us. There are steps of forgiveness where we can release bitterness without minimizing the reality of hurt. And in fact, if we, if we do that, we, we've not forgiven, as our text says, forgive as Christ uh, has forgiven you. Um, I love the work of author Dan Allender, who's written some powerful books. And one book he wrote is called Bold Love. And, and this book is about how to love. He says, um, sometimes we have to love an enemy. Sometimes we have to love a fool. <laughs> sometimes we have to love someone who does us harm. And, and he described how he was talking about this at a dinner party around people who weren't, didn't share the Christian faith, weren't believers. And they, you know, and he says, yeah, you've written this book on love. And they were kind of bored. And then he says, no, no, I'm writing about the love that is a kind of war. Um, I'm writing about love's intention to destroy the arrogance and ugliness in another person's soul in order to bring about their God-given beauty. And, and, and I think uh, in, in the Bible, if, if there was ever anybody who might have deserved to be a victim and locked into a bitter mess, it's the story of Joseph in Genesis uh, though he may have taunted his brothers by saying, I'm the favorite, I've got the multicolored, you know, beautiful coat, but he was sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed by those in power over him, a life of incredible, incredible suffering. And you, you may remember that when Joseph now had all of the power, right? He's like the prime minister of Egypt in a time of famine, and, and you've got his betraying brothers coming before him. And you, you know, it's almost setting the page like, wow, what is he gonna do with all this power and the fact that they have so aggrieved him in, in a serious way that has changed the narrative of his life. Um, and he doesn't give them a superficial forgiveness, though he's incredibly gracious. He leads them through a series of events so that they can feel what it was like to make their father grieve, to betray their family. Uh, and, and in the end, he says to them, he doesn't minimize the evil, he says, as for you, what you meant for evil, he doesn't mince words. He says, you did evil. You did evil against me. But God came into that mix to bring about, out of that evil, something that would lead to the saving of many lives. That is not a superficial uh, forgiveness. But there had to be a work in which Joseph got rid of bitterness for him to be able to do that. And, and if we, we don't labor to be rid of, of bitterness, we can't do that work of real forgiveness. But real forgiveness is not aborting difficult conversations with a quick and easy forgiveness. Remember, that was some newlywed advice somebody gave my wife and I when we got married. They say, you know, one way you can shut down communication is abort discussions with too frivolous an apology. Sometimes the things that irritate us or set us off are opportunities to be curious in an atmosphere of grace and say, hey, why did that make you angry? What's going on behind that? How can, how can I connect with you in, in, a, in a greater way? And so you can destroy forgiveness if you, if you look at forgiveness as a too easy reconciliation. But, but we have to be careful about bitterness or it will, it will define and drive our story and it will drive our attitude and it will drive, it will drive a wedge. Um, bitterness is especially a temptation 
when we're in close relationships. And, and here it seems like the command to get rid of all bitterness is in the theater of the church. I mean, we have some amazing examples of forgiveness to those who were not part of the church, who weren't believers. I think of a little throwaway line by the Apostle Paul where he says, this guy, Alexander the coppersmith, which I just, I just picture some dude that has a lot of strength. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it took to be a coppersmith, but maybe he was, was he mining the copper? Was he, whatever he was doing. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. And the very next thing that falls out of Paul's mouth is, may the Lord not hold it to his account. Um, that's powerful. I, I think of, uh, of Stephen in Acts chapter seven, and, and literally he is being stoned to death. I mean, the cruelty and the ferocity of, of vengeance against uh, innocent Stephen, whose only crime really was, been to, was to rehearse Israel's history and call them to repentance. And, and, and as he gazed and he saw, he saw a vision of Christ, um, not just seated on his throne, but, but standing up to, to receive him into heaven, his prayer was, Lord, please don't hold this against this crowd. That is really powerful. And, and sometimes I think it's, it's a little easier to forgive an outsider to the faith because they, we, something in us maybe even subconsciousness, like, well, they don't have all the resources I have. But it becomes often harder to forgive someone on the inside. And in fact, not just the same church, but when you, when you get close to someone, the biggest temptations to bitterness that I've faced have been with people who were friends or who maybe I, I thought had a certain kind of relationship, right? It, it's one of the hard things about bitterness. And, and sometimes when the relationship is really, really close, the danger is if we don't keep short accounts and deal with offenses, our closest relationships can be compromised by the smallest offenses, offenses that we wouldn't even think is a big deal to some, to, if a stranger did it, or maybe we could tolerate in, you know, a neighbor who we don't know that well, or, or maybe in a friend, but bring it into the closest of relationships, and it's, it's tougher. You experienced that? that? That the passions actually, the irritants can become greater. And um, I just ran across this quote by um, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, and he says this. He says, I have found it easier to forgive my enemies than my friends. It can be hardest of all to forgive those we love. Like, like the ability to forgive and the capacity of resentments has to take root in those closest of relationships. And, and we find this in the Bible. David wrote in a few different places in the Psalms of how um, his friends, who he had given um, much goodness and kindness and generosity to him, were returning him evil for good. He had done all this good, and now they're giving him evil. And so the temptation, of course, what, what bitterness does, and the way you can know you're bitter, is when you fantasize about returning evil for the evil that you've gotten. You can know you're in the grip of, of evil when you when you fantasize about misfortune, <laughs> or when you don't wanna see good come to someone, uh, because it is revealing what bitterness harbors. Bitterness harbors uh, the passion of an, of an ill will. And, and an ill will is dangerous 
in our soul because it is, it is the opposite of the force of love. Love ultimately is tested by, it, it is a force of energetic goodwill uh, pursuing the best of someone else. That, that's, that's a definition of love that is not just sentimental. It is, it is a definition of love that I think encompasses what Christ means when he calls us to love others. And bitterness strikes at that. Uh, that's why one key and, and kind of scary verse about bitterness is in Hebrews 12, 15. Hebrews 12, 12, 15, he writes it this way. He says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Well, how do you fall short of the grace of God? I, I, thought, I thought the grace of God meant that God made up all our shortfalls. And he says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. He says, the way you fall short of the grace of God, the way you are not living, he isn't saying you won't be um, uh, able to receive any grace. He's saying that you, have, you are living contrary to the narrative of grace in your life. And what, is, what does grace say in your life? Grace says, the life that you and I are living now, and, and in the moment of our greatest suffering or some of the most difficult things that can happen in life is a life that is infinitely more than we deserve. That's, that's what grace says. It says that we are living a life infinitely better than we could have ever deserved. And he says, when you fall short of the grace of God, it's when you allow a bitter root to grow up. And, and bitterness is rehearsing this script, I am entitled to more. And, and it buries itself. It hides itself like a bitter root. You know, there, there are roots in, in desert places where like it rains every 17 years or something. And those roots spring into life and they send out a, a huge plant that pollinates and seeds itself. And he says that when, we are, when we're rehearsing a bitter narrative in our mind, in our heart, just quietly and subconsciously, we are setting ourselves up um, to destructive behavior. And, and, and I think the, the verse in Hebrews 12, 15, where he says, no, no bitter root should, should grow up, spring up, and he says, defile many. It's referring to um, sexual sin, sexual immorality. And I think here's, here's what this unpacks about the danger of bitterness. He says that, that bitterness makes you think that you are entitled to better than you have. Bitterness makes you um, believe that you are entitled to some kind of self-soothing, some kind of unaccountable pleasure. And it can operate in the theater of the heart where bitterness, not, not lust, lust is not driving the sexual immorality, it's bitterness. And because the bitterness has convinced a person, maybe a person in a marriage that says, well, my needs are not being met by my spouse, poor me. And they rehearse that to the point where they have a sense of entitlement. And that fuels rationalizing the path toward infidelity. But their chief sin is not lust, their chief sin is self-pity. Their chief sin is this whole narrative that is nurturing this bitter root. And it is underground, it's not obvious, but it, when it receives the occasion and the opportunity, that's the evil day when you have the, a lot of times we're good because we don't have the opportunity. <laughs> that's just the reality of it. But when the opportunity to do evil and to give in to temptation comes and it knocks on our door, it reveals the fact that inwardly we have not been living a life of gratitude for the grace of God, 
We've been rehearsing a life of poor me, woe's me, I'm not getting my comeuppance. And then taking that uh, in an unrighteous act, and it says it springs up and it not only defiles the person, but defiles many. And that's why bitterness is such a serious sin. It's the invisible planting of a root that will come out in other relationships. Uh, so how do you get rid of it? Well, here, here again is the, the simple and beautiful thing. Bitterness generally is something, you, you may need a trusted, confident, or counselor or friend. That can always be helpful. But it's not required. You actually don't need to bring another person into the equation to deal with bitterness and that's why he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who wants to liberate us from bitterness. And when we harden our hearts and shut down in a relationship, we're grieving the Holy Spirit because he wants to do this repair job on the inside of us. And, and when we refuse to open our hearts to let loose of bitterness, he's grieved because he sees the jeopardy that we are throwing ourselves into. And he, he wants to release us. Bitterness does not require that you even go to the person that you're embittered at, if it's a person. In fact, I would advise you, there's no command in the Bible to confess sinful feelings we've had about other people to them. I don't know whether you've ever had that happen to you. A couple times it's happened to me where somebody will come to me and say, hey, I just want to confess. I've been really angry and bitter at you for the last couple months, but I've given it to the Lord and I'm good. I'm like, oh, great, you're good. Uh, guess what? I'm not. I don't know what to do with that. Um, we don't, we're never called to confess sinful thoughts and feelings to the other person because they've not yet been, been visible and public to them, but they have been visible and public to God. And if we can come to the point where we say, God, it's, it's you that I'm sinning against by no longer living according to the, to the narrative of grace, but living according to this, this narrative of embitterment. And, and you see, if we don't bring it to God, and, and, and again, you have to have the resources of the gospel, you have to have the resources of a father who knows the worst about us, knows the workings of your heart, knows the inner dialogues, and, and instead of, of shaming us to the point where we say, well, I've, I can't call on this father while I'm entertaining all this, no, no, no. He's the father who says, crawl up into my arms. I already know all that. I love you. I want to disentangle this for you. Um, that he's the one who is inviting us to bring it to him, and, and he is accessible. Because he knows that, that unless that bitterness gets, gets defused, again, it's, it's, it's like a, an entrapping kind of explosive device that is, is being wired together, and he's wanting to defuse it because he knows the ultimate victim of our bitterness is going to be us. It's, it's not going to be the person who maybe doesn't know it, or it's not gonna be the person who because of some wrong they've delivered to us is no longer regarded in our intimate circle, maybe rightly so. You know, the Bible doesn't say that we, we love everyone by putting them all in our circle of intimate trust. But, but it is going to be something that comes to root, and if we, if we don't have it diffused, it will drive our story. So many pictures of this, but, but I think just to, to give equal time to literature, not just pop music, um, I think of um, the incredible novel Moby Dick, which if you had to read it in high school, you 
maybe resented it, but the storyline is basically a storyline of revenge. Uh, Captain Ahab, uh, again, this is Gregory Peck's picture who played a version of it in a, uh, in a, television, in a movie. But he's got a vengeance for Moby Dick because he, he lost his leg. He has a, a, a wooden leg because of an accident pursuing uh, Moby Dick, this great whale. And his whole career is basically um, a spilling out of poisonous vengeance toward all whales. I mean, they, he's filling the cask of oil with the, uh, with the oil from whales because of his vengeance. And it's at the end of the novel where he says these words, and this is like bitterness reaching its, its full uh, logical conclusion. In a rage, he cries out to the whale. I mean, this is where he is. He's crying out to the whale. And he says, uh, as he's going to his destruction, the ship is coming down. And if you, um, uh, in the book, it's very powerful that it, the seagull gets impaled on the mast because when, when, we're in, when we're enrolled in the school of bitterness, we always bring others with us. And he says this, he says, um, um, towards you I roll, uh, you all destroying but unconquering whale. To the last I'm grappling with you. And then, and then he says these words, he says, from hell's heart I stab at you. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at you. Um, sink all coffins and all hearses to one common pool since neither can be mine. Um, but he says, thus I give up my spear. <laughs> With his last breath, with all that he has, he's, he's devoting it to the energy of bitterness. And that's what will happen with bitterness unless we take it seriously and remove it. So what do we do with it? Ultimately, bitterness, it's, it's got to have a, a side uh, uh, power. It's got to have something outside of itself come into it. We've got to bring it ultimately before Christ and the, the healing of bitterness ultimately toward others who have wronged us is when we come before Christ as those who've been forgiven far, far more, unless we drench our hearts and our awareness of wrongs with the fact that we are not primarily, no matter, no matter what our station in life, we are not primarily a people with a whole lot to forgive, but we are primarily people who have been forgiven an infinite amount. Uh, that is a work of the heart. But that is the reality, I would say, to everyone in this room. It, it, it's a reality um, to those who've lost the, the most in this unthinkable act of, of Putin's aggression in the Ukraine, um, who may have incredible amounts of things to forgive that, we can't, that would astound us. But, but we are never in a position where we have more that we need to forgive than we have the need of forgiveness. And when that chain of thought brings us back to Christ who sacrificed himself and who was able to pray even while they're nailing his hands to the beams of the cross, he, his first words, his very first words as he was about to, to be launched between earth and heaven and to show forth the power of his cross and, and the spread of his arms is so wide that no one is beyond the grace that he is accomplishing right there. And in fact, there's no such thing as grace apart from Jesus and Jesus purchasing it on the cross. That is what makes grace possible. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
That prayer it was a prayer, a prophecy. In Isaiah 53, it says that, that when Jesus comes and is despised and forsaken of man, that he would make intercession for the very transgressors. And you know, those transgressors are not the people, uh, they're, they're not best understood by us as the people who've wounded us, although it includes them. <laughs> but those transgressors that he's praying for, they are the person I look at in the mirror. <laughs> They are me. They are you. And, and when I understand that forgiveness, not theoretical, not just as a doctrine, but as something that my life, my existence depends upon, and God has opened the pathway that the whole um, movement of the Holy Spirit toward me to bless me with every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, to redeem me through the blood of Christ, um, lavishing affection upon me, all of that movement of the Spirit of God, taking me from being an orphan abandoned into the fellowship of a, of a father who loves me perfectly, all of that movement comes to me through this infinite, incredible forgiveness that Christ has brought. And when I am bathed in that, my sins blaze like the light of the sun and, and other people's sins burn like maybe a dim Christmas bulb in comparison. And, and, and it releases me from proportion, from harboring that in bitterness uh, and, and from moving toward that person. Um, this week as I labored over this text, I really did ask God, I'm like, please reveal to me if I'm bitter toward anyone. <laughs> I mean, that list come to mind and I, I'm sure my work is not done in evaluating them, but just saying if I, but, but I'm like, Lord, even in my dreams, like, you know, you know, sometimes it's like when I'm not receptive to something, sometimes I've found God just gets through to a dream. Not a every Tuesday occurrence, but every year or so, just like, he'll reveal something that I'm still grappling with in my heart. And I'm like, God, reveal. Are there, are there faces? Are, they, are there people I'm harboring something against that I need to on my side even apart from them repenting, even apart from any wrong being addressed, but you just say, on my side, just like what Christ did with me, he did not wait till I started to take some steps toward him, thank God. He did not look for me to somehow um, build a record of my own repentance, but, but completely apart from that, on his own side, what we find in the Psalms, there are verses about how God is ready to forgive, how all day long he stretches out open arms, and it doesn't say that he's going to embrace us while we're impenitent, but it says that there is nothing that stands between us and Christ. And so I ask you, if you've received the grace of Christ, if you haven't, there is nothing that stands between you to receive it. If you've received the grace of Christ to take inventory and say, God, is there any place bitterness is allowed? Is there even a pocket, maybe even, even within a marriage, there's a, there's a pocket around some issue that's like a demilitarized zone and you know in your relationship not to walk in that area or it will provoke bitterness. To say, God, I want, you, I want you to dismantle that. I want you to reveal it and dismantle it. And we're gonna sing uh, in a closing song about how it's only through Christ, but I just wanna invite you to close with this time with me in prayer. And then to sing that song, asking Christ to cleanse us of bitterness. And, and you may feel like you want to come forward to receive prayer, or you may just want to, because it's, again, a unilateral thing. You can just come. Uh, we have our kneeling prayer benches there. You can just come and just say, I'm seeking God. 
maybe you, maybe you don't even know of anything. You just say, I just want to be completely cleansed of anything that would grieve the Spirit of God and block his work in me. Please join with me in prayer. Father, we do thank you. The picture of the new self, the new life that you have for us is one that is free of all ill will, all ill will toward other people, even those who have harmed us, even those who do still need to repent so that we regard them, Lord, not with disdain, but with the true desire that they would experience the forgiveness that you've brought to us. Lord, would you do an inventory of our hearts, both in the remainder of this service and in our lives? Would you, would you keep us clear of it as individuals, as a church, as a body, so that the, the flow of the life of the Spirit of Christ might, instead of being grieved, might do great and continual great works of repair. Lord, we, we ask that you would do this. Search us, O oh God, and try our thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in us. Lead us in the way of Christ, the everlasting way. And we thank you so much for the forgiveness that you have granted us. May we always be melted by it and always thankful for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
but great sentiments in those lyrics. There is no greater life that you and I can live than the life of Christ fully expressing his life, that leading us to live our lives as if he were living the very life we live. So how good news is that for us? He has lifted that burden so we can do that. Uh, I invite you to, uh, as we have prayers at the front, or just if you want some quiet time to pray um, in your own voice, on your knees before you leave, that you just want not to leave this room with addressing any vestige of anything God wants you to unload before his presence. We'll always encourage you, if you've never given your life to Christ, and just say, I've not given myself the first time to Christ, please come forward, let us know. We'd love to pray with you to receive that life in Jesus Christ. But now lift up your hearts and receive this benediction um, from Ephesians, where Paul said that we're to, re- to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled up to all the fullness of God. He says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to his power that lives within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And God's people said, amen.
Cannot 